Namaste, Hariyom, and welcome to another episode of Yogis, Swamis, and Swindlers, a podcast for the inner explorer. With me, your host, Ramgiri Baba. Episode 5, A Tightrope Walk of Balance. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We seem to have reached episode 5 without major incident, which is wonderful. I'm really enjoying making these podcasts and sharing with you the hidden wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda that is so juicy and interesting, at least to me. I hope you feel the same. The more podcasts I make, the more I realize how much there is to tell you about and how many astounding things I want to share, today not accepted. Things are gradually building up, episode by episode, and hopefully your understanding is growing. We're following the advice of my guru, Tora 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 Pura, and taking things little bit by little bit and patiently developing the big picture. Thus far on these podcasts, we have discussed such things as our own personal philosophy and worldview, as well as the philosophy of yoga, at least to some degree, and a bit about the particular philosophy that influences myself and this podcast. We looked at the essential concept of yoga as conscious transformation, and the way we decide, to some extent, what we change into. We've also talked a bit about some of the types of yoga and the approaches that have been used historically to bring seekers into the state of yoga. This includes hatha yoga, the physical and energy-based yoga that is the practice for the majority of yoga practitioners today. Last episode, we spent some time talking about the ultimate desire for our human lives, which is, according to yoga, the state of balance. We looked into one part of the human body where we need to actively create balance, and that is in the muscles. Recall that the muscles are one of the parts of the body most accessible to change and conscious transformation because of their vital role in the functioning of our physical bodies. Also remember that muscles play an essential part in the formation of our posture, the quality of our movement, and the shape of our bodies. The skeletal muscles provide the stability to help us maintain our posture and the integrity of our joints as well as providing the mechanical force necessary to move our bones and skeleton around. These muscles are considered voluntary muscles in that we can actually decide to activate them in the effort to move the body how we want or need to move. A child must learn to gradually activate and control the skeletal muscles so they can crawl and eventually walk, and she or he continues to develop the control of these voluntary muscles as they grow to create what's called coordination. The training and voluntary control of muscles does not end at childhood, however. It's actually essential for health to continue developing coordination and muscular control throughout one's life. It's a classic case of, if you don't use it, it goes away, and certainly muscular power and coordination is one of those things. People that take up a more regimented training of skeletal muscles are people like athletes, who train their coordination as well as muscular strength and flexibility to become elites in the type of voluntary movements particular to their sport. These people will train their muscles in very specific ways so that they are exceptional in the types of movement their sport demands. This does not necessarily mean they are balanced or healthy in the yoga view of things, and often professional athletes are imbalanced with regards to the muscles, because their reason for moving and training the muscles is different from the reasons why we train the muscles in yoga. We also do specialized training in Hatha Yoga, where we must develop the muscular connection, strength, and coordination to perform the postures, breaths, bandhas, and mudras that form the essential actions of the practice. Like any type of movement, it takes time and training to become familiar with the particular expressions of your sport, dance, or yoga style. Think back to the first times you tried to do downward dog or a vinyasa. Most of us experienced these early attempts at dog as awkward, clumsy, and unfamiliar. 
But over time, the downward dog becomes intuitive and comfortable because we trained our muscles and tissues to perform the shape, building the dynamics of strength and flexibility required by the yoga. Effective yoga depends on this training because controlling the muscles are our first efforts to control and influence the deeper levels of our being, such as the respiration, the nervous system, the heart rate, and even the mind. In yoga, we work to control the muscles because this gradually influences parts of the being that are harder or even impossible to directly control. As we explored in the last episode, this basic training consists of gradually changing the balance of the muscles by developing both strength and flexibility. We all know that it takes time and cultivation to transform ourselves into balanced and harmonious people. Remember, tora 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 pura. But this is just the beginning of the journey of inner and outer balance, because there are so many other parts of us which need balancing if our yoga is really to do what it is supposed to do. At every stage along the yoga way, we cultivate balance as best we can, in order to gradually become more balanced. It's a continual project that spans every level of who we are. The work on balancing the muscles simply gives us a good foundation to move the yoga of balance forward on other levels of our organism. In the Ayurvedic perspective, muscles have their own special layer in the seven-level chain of tissues that make up the human body called dhatus. The muscle layer is called the mamsa dhatu. Mamsa means muscle and dhatu means layer. For each of these layers, Ayurveda identifies various types of balances or imbalances which affect our health. High-functioning, super-healthy tissue layers are essential for peak health and vibrancy. The highest quality a tissue layer could attain is called sara. The peak of health and balance in the muscle layer is called Mamsa Sara Dhatu. Great name, huh? In one of his books, Dr. Vasant Ladd lists off the qualities we could expect to experience if our muscle layer is Sara. He says, Superfine Mamsa Sara Dhatu gives energy, power, strength, stamina, courage, confidence, determination, love, compassion, forgiveness, makes money, strong sex drive, and longevity. Sounds good, huh? Certainly all of these qualities will help us become more dynamic and healthy beings, especially if you have money, sex, and longevity. <laughs> Just messing with you. But they are a part of the qualities that will manifest if we have healthy balance in the muscles. There are three main types of muscles, skeletal muscles, cardiac muscles, and smooth muscles. The latter two categories, cardiac and smooth, function without our conscious control. Their role is to maintain and assist the functioning of our internal organs and structures, such as the stomach and intestines, the blood vessels, the heart, the uterus, the bladder, the throat, and even the movement of the body hair, such as when your hair stands on end. These muscles are what we call involuntary and function 24 hours a day independent of our conscious control. They can, however, be influenced by the way we do things as well as the things we take in through food and drink. For example, we can influence the speed and intensity of the involuntary actions of the heart muscle by deciding to run or bike quickly, which then increases the speed of the heartbeat naturally. It's a reaction of the involuntary system to our voluntary actions. So, even though the smooth and cardiac muscles are involuntary and outside our conscious control, they are not outside the influence of our decisions and actions. When you decide to run or bike quickly, this affects the heart and increases its rate, which can have a number of effects. In a basically healthy person, it can help to make the heart muscle stronger and increase blood and oxygen circulation, as well as building stamina and giving us deeper relaxation when the run is finished. 
For a fit and healthy person, this can be a good development for the muscle layer as well as the involuntary system such as circulation and respiration. However, in a person who has decreased blood flow due to narrowing of the arteries, for example, running can cause great stress or even create the risk of heart attack if the heart rate increases dramatically. Other systems in the body can also be negatively affected or stressed if a person is not actually fit to do what they've decided to do. This again takes us back to the knowledge of our own personal situation, because running might be the perfect thing to balance a person that is healthy and strong, but might also be the wrong thing for a person who has arterial blockage or other conditions. What will bring us into or out of balance completely depends on the state of the individual. In short, be wary of any formula that claims to make you healthier or more balanced, because it might not be the right thing for you as an individual. You cannot safely state that running is good or running is healthy, because it is not as simple as that. Poor decisions can have a negative effect on the systems in our bodies which we do not have direct control of. If you think about it, involuntary systems actually control us because they are the systems which keep us alive and largely determine our feelings and experience of life. We depend on these involuntary functions and the intelligence of the body to maintain our health continually in the background. The point being that the conscious decisions we make about our movement shapes the situation in the rest of our being. This is yet another reason why it is so important to be intelligent, wise, and conscious about the nature of our movement and exercise because it shapes the essence of our reality and the foundation of our lives, which is the physical body. The situation in the voluntary skeletal muscles is only one of the multitude of areas that we need to work on to cultivate balance. Still, we have not really gotten a firm grip on what balance actually is. To be fair, knowing what is balanced or imbalanced can be tricky, elusive, and hard to pin down. It's easier to say what balance is not than what it actually is. Again, there is no set formula for being in balance, for we are all unique, and the situation within us is changing continually. The human body, energy, and mind is constantly shifting and reacting in subtle and sometimes quite gross ways. Fortunately, our involuntary systems have a built-in intelligence that tries to keep us in balance so that everything can function properly to keep us alive. If we consciously participate in cultivating balance, we will be playing an active role in maintaining our own harmony and happiness. If we neglect the cultivation of balance and just let the involuntary systems do their work, we risk the gradual deterioration of our own health. Truly, the difference between active participation in our own health and the passive surrender of it is monumental, and is really the difference between yoga practitioners and non-yogis. Yogis do everything in their power to cultivate an intelligent influence on their entire being. Non-yogis often live with the hope that health will be maintained, and the fear that it will not be, and they generally have few tools to actually do anything about the deeper state of their health and balance. Even if a person does not have a huge yoga toolbox to treat situations of imbalance as they arise, they can still adjust themselves if they employ some basic yoga wisdom. Fundamentally, the efforts to continually steer ourselves into balance requires an assessment of our actions and choices as we move through life. There are three basic qualities that will move an organism towards or away from balance. When we do something that helps us to feel more harmonious, healthy, and in our center, you can consider what you have done is probably just right. For example, if you eat your dinner and it is just right, you feel nourished by your meal and ready for the next event in your life, be that work, recreation, or sleep, or whatever is next. If you have eaten too much, not enough, or the wrong food, 
you will not feel that same sense of nourishment and contentment because your meal was imbalanced, and you will have to deal with the consequences of this imbalance. You might feel ill at ease, tired, or otherwise uncomfortable after your meal, and it will then take energy and time for your organism to return to a state of harmony. You will then be not fully prepared to continue on successfully with your life. Instead, you will have to do something to bring yourself back into balance or wait in hopes that balance will eventually be restored. With everything we do, including meals, exercise, yoga, socializing, working, sleeping, etc., we want to try to be balanced, so that little of what we do has negative consequences. Keep in mind that if we are out of balance for long enough, we become ill or even diseased. Staying in balance gives us health and harmony. I'm not sure how many times I'll say that, but I want to make sure that it's well established in your mind. When we stray from balance, this is due to the decisions that fall on either side of balance, which are the qualities of too much and too little. Simply put, too much and too little are the things that will cause us to deviate from the middle way of harmony. Doing either too much or too little of something will cause our organism to react and become stressed, instead of remaining happy in our highest expression of life, which is balance. This situation of too much, too little, or just right is continually happening as we move through the events and experiences of life. Sometimes we can't help it when a situation of too much or too little happens to us, such as when the weather is too hot or not hot enough and we just have to deal with the resulting situation of imbalance as best we can. This is simply adjusting to the reality that we face as we live our lives, and there are things out of our control that cause states of too much or too little. What is important are the times when we have caused imbalance because of too much or too little due to our own choices. For example, when you sit down for a meal, you get to decide what you eat and how much you eat. If you're at a restaurant, there are heaps of different things you can order, and it is up to you what is brought to you and how much of it is brought. You can order just a single dish, or you can get the waitress to bring you starters, mains, salads, breads, drinks, desserts, a cheese plate, and something to take home, if you wish. In addition to quantity, or how much you order, there is still the question of flavor and taste. Do you order things that are mild, like salads, or hot and spicy with chilies, or fatty and fried like chips? Or do you order lots of meat or plenty of vegetables? The question of flavors and qualities of food and why we should or should not choose them is the subject of yet another episode that we will have to cover at some later date. The main idea here is the question of too much, too little, and just right. If you don't order enough food, you'll finish your meal and be dissatisfied because you're experiencing a state of too little. You did not get the nourishment you require, and thus your body will not experience the balance and satisfaction that food needs to provide for you. In this case, the solution is fairly simple in that you just need to go get some more food into you to be satisfied and just right. If, at our imaginary restaurant, you ordered a mountain of food and proceeded to polish it all off, you are likely to experience a state of too much. You have eaten too much food for your own well-being, and will likely experience the consequences of your poor decision to eat so much. With food, the decisions that lead to the state of too much can have the immediate disturbing situation of indigestion, heartburn, heaviness or lethargy, among others. Long-term effects of too much, when it comes to food consumption, can lead to the accumulation of too much body fat, the narrowing of arteries due to high fat consumption, chronic lack of energy, and problems in the digestive system as well. 
any of which can lead to the state of disease and illness. The result of poor choices of too much or too little will always result in disease if the trend continues for long enough. You also might consume too much or too little of certain flavors or types of food, which will likewise lead to imbalance and illness. For example, it's not wise to dine exclusively on a diet of fish and chips or other high-fat foods, even if you don't eat too much of them. Hot and spicy foods such as chilies or alcohol, when consumed in quantity, will lead to heartburn, acid reflux, and even ulcerative colitis and other chronic diseases of the digestive tract that will then negatively affect the other systems and functions of the body. There are situations where people voluntarily choose too little when it comes to food, and this also leads to a multitude of problems if the situation is not rectified. Too little food will cause wasting of the tissues and a chronic sense of unease and anxiety because the organism is being starved of nutrition. Lack of nutrition will eventually affect every system in the body, and recovery from lack of fundamental nutrition can be a long and difficult road due to the stress on our layers, or datus, upon which our being is built. This is certainly less common than the situation of overeating, but is a problem nonetheless, mainly in affluent westernized countries. Of course, fasting, which is a situation of too little, is a different matter, and actually can be used to increase health and balance in the right time and place. More on that later. The example of food and eating is an easy one to see the effects of too much, too little, and just right. But these dynamics of balance are happening within us and all around us, all the time. Since our focus is yoga and yoga practice, let's look at situations of too much and too little in relation to yoga. In most cases, people experience the situation of too little yoga in that they don't do enough to stretch and strengthen the body and balance out the dynamics of muscles and other systems. Remember, building a yoga body starts with creating a good balance between strength and flexibility in the muscles. If we have too much strength, we may become rigid, stiff, or stuck. If we have too little strength, our muscles will not support our skeleton and we are limited in what we can physically and energetically do. If we have too little flexibility, we can experience similar situations to having too much strength in the body, in that the body is rigid, limited in mobility, and subject to injury and lack of circulation. I know it seems contrary to modern views of yoga, but there is certainly such a thing as being too flexible. Most people think that yoga is the effort to become more and more flexible, but that is not the case. We spoke of this a bit last episode, that being overly flexible can cause a host of problems. Many of these problems only surface later in life, as the situation of too much flexibility builds up over the years and may not show any negative effects until it's too late. Imbalances that may manifest when a person is chronically overflexible are problems in the joints, which do not have the support and stability they need when the muscles are too loose. Hyperflexing or overstretching joints may eventually create a situation where arthritis and joint pain manifest and cause great discomfort. Too much flexibility also can have a negative effect on the body's energy and prana, as well as on the nervous system and the mind. In many situations where a person is too flexible, you will discover problems in maintaining even energy, as well as problems with mental concentration and focus. These people may also have problems with consistent sleeping, an inability to relax, and may display qualities of restlessness, over-talkativeness, and even hyperactivity. These are extreme examples, but I've seen them many times in the yoga world, and sadly, all too often, I see very flexible people making their situations worse by continuing to stretch more and more. 
thus aggravating their situation of too flexible. Even in the yoga community, sometimes there is still a lack of perspective on balance and the concept of too much and too little. And I don't see enough people adjusting what they are doing or how they are practicing in relation to what keeps them truly in balance. Again, the yoga of balance is asking us to be more aware and asking us to beware of formulas and rigid yoga practice doctrines that strip us of our personal power. Our own journey of balance is unique to us, and we have to practice with awareness and be responsive to our own bodies and its needs. The best guru we have is our own experience and intelligence if we are only open to listening to our inner teacher. We have to use a combination of wisdom, intelligence, and intuition if we are to guide ourselves into profound and lasting balance. Rigid yoga formulas strip us of this intelligence. One of the things that helps you get some perspective on your balance is your situation after your yoga practice. Do you feel balanced and harmonized and ready to carry on with the next part of your life after your practice? Check and see after your practice if you feel how you want to feel. At best, we feel clear, calm, energized, and satisfied, nourished on every level. If our practice was not balanced, we might feel aggravated, angry, ungrounded, or even exhausted. Of course, sometimes we just feel some of these things regardless of the yoga, but hopefully it was not the yoga causing it or aggravating it. If you start a yoga practice in a state of aggravation and agitation, do not make the situation worse by doing a practice that is aggravating or aggressive or overly stimulating. In this case, you already have too much of that, and approaching yoga with the same quality will simply be throwing oil on an already hot fire. If you have good results overall, please continue with what you're doing and keep refining the balance and dynamics of your practice. If you don't experience harmony after practice, you must start to adjust the way you're doing things so that you don't veer off into lasting imbalance. For example, I know myself well enough to know when certain types of yoga are going to throw me out of balance. I have, on occasion, and against my better judgment, done classes of power yoga or hot yoga or hot power yoga or something intense like that. I already know that I run hot and I am prone to aggravation, even in yoga classes. If practices are too intense, too fast, or the room or environment is too hot, I get aggravated, overheated, and profoundly uncomfortable. This is certainly not the effect I'm looking for when I practice yoga, because it causes imbalance in me and frankly just feels In possession of this self-knowledge, I'm forced to adapt how I'm practicing in classes like this. To take care of myself and not go out of balance due to my own choices, I have to do less. I move more slowly, breathe deeply, and try to stay calm and decrease aggravation. Oftentimes, I'm actually a few postures behind the rest of the class because I refuse to move so quickly that I disturb myself. Many modern yoga classes, especially the fitness-oriented ones, move way too fast and push it way too hard and cause imbalance in students like me who are more sensitive to heat, speed, and intensity. That's just me, though. Others enjoy it, though whether it is taking them into balance is another matter entirely. Just because a person enjoys something does not necessarily mean it's balancing for them. Oh, yet another subject for a later podcast. Ultimately, the only way you can truly achieve your own balance is to make all the yoga decisions yourself. In other words, you need to do your own practice and explore the ways to practice yoga that bring you, your one-of-a-kind unique being, into balance. It may not be obvious at first what you should do or how you should do it. 
But through practice and exploration, you will understand because you feel it. The way I see it is that when we learn techniques and methods in class, we then take them home and explore them in our own practice, using them as tools for balance. So, life is a constant stream of choices about what to do or not do, and how much or how little of it we should do. Many choices are out of our control, but the ones we can decide are critical to our health and balance. In a way, these are the only things we can actually control, so it is imperative that we choose well. By using the concept of personal harmony and the ideas of too much and too little and just enough, we have the tools to guide us towards good decisions that will benefit the quality of our lives. Notice as you go through your day the decisions you make and why you make them, especially the ones around food and exercise. To try to determine if you have overdone something, or underdone it, or have chosen and achieved balance. If you have not chosen well, take careful note of the effects that your choices have had on your physical, mental, and emotional state. Then accept the lessons, take responsibility for the results of your actions, and next time you arrive at a similar decision-making moment, try to choose differently. Try to choose just right instead of too much or too little, and see what you get. It is this process of informed awareness and choice that will actually turn your entire life into yoga, because you are using the wisdom of yoga in your commitment to be in and stay in balance, which is the state of yoga. Remember that balance leads to more balance. So as you continue to shape your yoga into an expression that brings your organism into balance, it will gradually accumulate and sink into all your cells and systems. This will eventually affect your decisions and actions, and your choices will be more aligned with balance. Eventually, you will establish a state of lasting balance that is difficult to disrupt. And even if you do depart from balance at times, like we all do, returning to harmony is easier and quicker, and requires less effort. I hope this discussion has helped to bring you some clarity and personal insight into the flow of your life and choices. As always, we'll carry on with our discussion of yoga in its multiple forms in the next episode, and build on the knowledge we have explored today. Next time, we will talk about some of the other areas in life in which we can build awareness and develop more balance, but it will still be based on our fundamental concepts of too much, too little, and just right. Remember that I run the Swara Yoga Academy, a yoga school based on the wisdom tradition that I talked to you about here, and we run 200-hour teacher training courses as well as workshops on pranayama, yin, and countless other topics. So please join us for a course in Thailand, India, or Europe sometime in future. Check the website swarayogaacademy.com for more information, or write to me personally. If you enjoyed the podcast and know others who might be interested, kindly share this so that they too can benefit. And don't forget to like and follow Yogi Swamis and Swindlers if you appreciate the podcast. So until we meet again, this is Ramgiri Baba wishing you peace, health, and harmony, and above all, good decision making. Hari Om Shanti Shanti Shanti.